Our theme for 2015 is Walk Worthy of Your Calling. We're talking about uh, our walk, our life, our uh, lifestyle, uh, how we live this life. And Paul said to the Ephesians in our key verse to walk worthy. He said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And remember, he spent the first part of Ephesians explaining that calling and how wonderful that was and what we've, uh, what God has done for us, what Christ has done for us. And then he gets to chapter four and he says, now you need to walk worthy of that. Uh, you've been given a special blessing. You've been given the gift of eternal life. You've been promised an abundant life here. All of these things. Walk worthy of that. So that's our task this year is to figure out what walking worthy is. Uh, we started with a short series on what's my calling. Uh, what are we called to do? What are Christians called to? And we spent a few weeks on that. Uh, then Toby did a series about the body, uh, a little different uh, group grouping or way to think about it. Uh, we individually are called. We as a body are called. How's the body walk worthy? What do we as the family of God here at Northside, uh, how do we walk worthy? And Toby carried us through that. Uh, now we're in a series called Calling All Families, and we're looking at another arena, uh, individual as the body of Christ, and now as our physical family, uh, and taking a little different look at how we walk worthy. Uh, we're part of the Christian family. Most of us are part of a physical family. Um, what are the roles in that family to be a worthy walker? Uh, only four lessons in that series. We could go on. We could spend a whole year talking about family, I suppose. Uh, but we're going to talk about grand. We already talked about grandparents. We're going to talk about spouses today, and then parents and children. Um, I've done the first two, grandparents and spouses. Next week, Toby will take over and do the last two, parents and children. Okay, today we'll look at spouses. What are, what are spouses called to do? Haven't got kids involved yet. We're not talking about them. Uh, this is just husband and wife. Uh, what are they called to do? And you may notice that these are getting tougher as we go. Grandparenting was easy. I'm, a, I'm an expert at grandparenting. Uh, not so much at spousing. Uh, sounds funny, doesn't it? But if grandparents do grandparenting. I guess spouses do spousing. Uh, so I'm not quite as good at that, probably. Uh, actually, when you think about it, spouses sounds weird, doesn't it? Uh, we don't have mouses. We have mice. So... Maybe we ought to have spice. <laughs> Might be helpful to think of it that way, but we'll, we won't go that, that way. Uh, anyhow, where was I before I got distracted? I was, I was saying that I wasn't too good at the, the spousing part of things. That's harder than grandparenting in most ways, I think. Now, I didn't have to tell you that. Cindy's out of town, uh, so I could have claimed that I was really good at that. Uh, but she might be live streaming, and I know a lot of you guys can't keep a secret, so <laughs> I'll just tell the truth. Um, the, the basic foundation 
of what spouses are called to do is in the big picture, walk worthy of your calling. And we mentioned that with grandparents. Uh, being a Christian, being someone that thinks that way and has that worldview and that lifestyle uh, makes it possible to be a much, much better grandparent and a much, much better spouse. Now, I'm not saying you can't be a good spouse if you aren't a Christian. Uh, you can be a good spouse. But I'll guarantee you, the good spouses that are out there in the world without being Christians, they're following the principles of this book if they're a good spouse. Uh, if you go to any kind of earthly counselor or therapy or whatever, if it works, the principles come from this book. Because God knows how people work together. Uh, Christians have the advantage of understanding Christ's sacrifice. Now, being a good spouse comes down to sacrificing, putting the other one first. That's what is going to where we're going to end up today. Uh, we understand that because Christ showed us; He died for us, made the ultimate act sacrifice for us. Uh, we have a lot of other advantages. Being Christians, the things we know and understand help us be a much better spouse. But uh, that's the basic foundation, is we ought to be walking worthy of our calling. Uh, so what are spouses called to do? Uh, let's go back to the very beginning. Uh, God invented marriage. He created everything. He created marriage. In Genesis 2.24, you can turn over there if you want, or I'll read it to you. In Genesis 2.24, God says, For this cause, and he's just been talking about marriage, so he says, For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You know, there's a lot in that verse. Uh, let me combine all of that into this one concept. Let's say it this way. Make your spouse your number one priority. What's a spouse called to do? Well, let's summarize it this way. You make your spouse, the other one, your number one priority. Let's go back through that verse again. For this reason, for marriage, here's what marriage is about. A man shall leave his father and mother. Okay? Leave what at that point is your primary world, your primary relationship, your primary love is your family. Okay, now I know today some people leave family and may not, maybe a number of years before they're married or something like that. But in this day particularly, uh, one went from their family to marriage. Okay? What that means is that your family that was your number one priority moves down in the list. Okay? You leave them and your spouse now becomes your number one priority. You leave and you cleave, that's the second thing he says, you cleave to your wife. Works the other way too. Wife's supposed to cleave to the spouse, uh, the husband. The word there, and we've studied this before, means to hold on tight, to cling, to not let loose of, work hard at it. Okay? That's your number one priority. You, you figure out how to do that. It involves work. And the third thing he says, and they will become one flesh. Now, you can't become one flesh without making the other one your number one priority. So 
All the things that's in that verse, let's just wrap it up with this. Make your spouse your number one priority. Now, if you've got to leave now, you basically got the point. If you can figure out how to do that, which the rest of the sermon is about. But that's what I think a Christian spouse is called to do. Make the other one the number one priority. Now, I realize this is not the whole story. We could spend a month talking about husband-wife relationships and all that. But in this big overview of family, here's what spouses are called to do. And when marriages don't work, it's because they don't do this. All right. Uh, Make your spouse your number one priority. Probably sounds pretty simple if you say it real fast. But if you start trying to do that, you find out that's a little trickier than you think. Some of us need a little help at that. So let's start thinking about how we make them our number one priority. Now, the answer to how is simple also. You meet your spouse's needs. That's how you make them the number one priority. What they need, you meet them. Now, let's back this up with some scripture. I put a couple on your handout for you. First uh, Corinthians 7, verse 33 and 34. And it's an interesting passage because Paul's really telling people not to get married. <laughs> he's talking in a time of persecution and all of that. And he's saying that if you aren't married, there are some advantages. And his example is that he's a bachelor, he he works full-time in the mission field, and his example is that he doesn't have to take time to think about a wife. He says an unmarried person doesn't have to think about the wife, but a married person, listen to how he summarizes marriage. He says a married person, a married man, is concerned about how to please his wife. That's what marriage is. Make your spouse your number one priority. And a man who's doing that well, who's, who's doing what he's, a spouse is called to do, is thinking about how to please his wife. And then Paul goes on, he reiterates it for the other direction, and he says, and a married woman is concerned about how to please her husband. Philippians 2.4, I put on there also, uh, which is a general Christian principle that says, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, that's basic Christianity. That's why I said Christians have an advantage at this, is we know some principles about living and working together and being family and all that. The basic way a family gets along, a church family gets along, is it's not about you all the time. Uh, don't just look to your own interests. Look to the interests of others. And Northside's real good at that. We've got, and we've practiced that. So in marriage, that's what happens too. In fact, in marriage, there's no more me. It's it's us. We're one. To do that, I got to focus on you. I got to give me up. So a lot of verses that we, we, like I said, we spend a month on this, but those are some quick ones that show you how this works. Now, let me give you a quote from somebody who's not in the Bible, but it's kind of a golden rule thought. 
guy named Dr. Egrich, we'll talk about him later, said, you can't get what you need, what you need, by depriving your partner of what your partner needs. you got to think about that a little while, but that's a pretty good little golden rule there. He says, what I've been saying in three different ways, is to be a good spouse, what you're called to do is make your spouse the number one priority, meet their needs, and that's how you become one, and that's how everybody gets their needs met. Uh, You start with what you need to do for them, and it'll work out. Now, let me stop for just a second, because I know as I'm talking about this marriage and spouses serving each other and on and on, I know i got a whole lot of people in here that are on another track. You're thinking about, yeah, but. You don't know about my marriage. You don't know about this or that. And I understand that there's all kinds of situations, bad situations. You may be in a marriage. You may have been in a marriage where a spouse not only didn't do this, but was 180 degrees out of phase. They deliberately tried to hurt you. Instead of meeting your needs, instead of figuring out what you want, it was all about them. I understand that. Uh, There are all kinds of abuse in this world, uh, sexual and physical and mental and verbal, uh, just plain meanness, just plain evil. And I know that. That's not what we're talking about today. That's a whole other subject. There's people that can help you with that and talk to you about it. What we're talking about today is a couple that want to do what Christ wants them to do. The the people who entered this whole year saying, I want to walk worthy. Uh, Tell me some things I can do to walk worthy. I'm in a marriage relationship. I want to walk. I want to do what God wants me to do in this. So tell me how to do that. We're talking about, we're not talking about somebody who on purpose tries to make the other person unhappy. We're talking about somebody who wants to do the right thing, wants to make their spouse happy and doesn't know how. Is doing the wrong things somehow, not on purpose, just because they don't know better. See, the marriage covenant, that's what it is. I will make you happy. I'll meet your needs. That's what we're talking about. In in a dysfunctional situation, uh, that's not our topic today. Okay, now, I've said this so many times in so many ways, it's about making the other person. That's your role. Do what your spouse needs. Give them what they need. Okay, now I can say it a hundred more times and people are still going to be looking at me like, how do you do that? I think I'm doing that and it just blows up. It doesn't work. Well, let's talk about that just a little bit. Uh, Our problem is answering that question. What's my, my wife need? And the wife answering, what's my husband need? Because you see, we're so different, we don't even know that answer. Now, we don't have time to talk about it, but 
I've advised you a number of times before, spend a dollar or two and go buy the old, old book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And that'll explain it to you. We're just so different, we don't understand each other. We're from different planets. Once you understand that, that helps. Okay? Uh, but without trying to explain that whole concept, uh, we've got some folks who have studied this kind of thing because everybody does that. I know I'm supposed to meet my spouse's needs. I know that's how I make them number one priority, but they don't know what to do. So we've got a lot of folks that have studied that, and some of them even explain it pretty well. Most of them don't, but some of them explain it pretty well. Um, one psychologist has worked on it, uh, Dr. Willard Harley. He wrote a book, and many of you have studied it. Now, I'm not endorsing it cover to cover, but I'm saying we've had classes on it around here in years past, and it really helped a lot of people. It really helped some people understand this question that we're talking about. So let me just give you a little bit of his uh, writing. According to Harley, he says, A woman's five most basic needs are, are these. Affection. I think we, there we go. Affection. Conversation. Honesty and openness. Financial support. And family commitment. Now, I'm not here to explain those. I just gave you the list. You write them down. I'm not here to argue whether they're right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm not here to prove it. I just gave you what one guy studied and figured out. Here's a woman's top five needs. And the reason I put those up on the screen is, my guess is, that a whole lot of men are sitting there right now thinking, how weird is that? I didn't know that. I didn't know that's what she needed. That's because we're so different. That we think we need the same things. We don't. Mars, Venus. Go back and read the book. Uh, a man's list is different, according to Mr. Harley. He says a man's five most basic needs are, number one, sexual fulfillment. Number two, recreational companionship. Number three, an attractive spouse. Number four, domestic support. And number five, admiration. Now, I'm really not going to try to explain those to you. Okay, I just put the list up there so you can see them. And my guess is that there's some women sitting there saying, that is really weird. I didn't know that's what he needed. Well, I'm not guaranteeing the list is perfectly right. I'm just saying that this is what Harley said. Now, uh, that's the point of putting these two lists up there, I guess, is we have the best intentions. We know I want to make my spouse the number one priority. I want to meet her needs. I want to meet his needs. But we just don't know what they are. Yeah. I want to do it, but I do the wrong thing all the time. Now, let me tell you one more thing about Harley's study. He says, his conclusion is, that these needs are so strong. He says they're so strong that if they're not met, then the partner will be 
tempted to go outside the marriage to fulfill them. Okay? Even though they've promised, I'll forsake all others and make you my number one priority. He says if these needs aren't met, there will be a strong temptation to go outside the marriage to fulfill them. Now, we kind of boil it all down and call it an affair, and we, we say it happens when the sex happens and all that, but that's not what it's about. That's not where it starts. If you go back and look at that list and see that a male seeks admiration, and a female seeks affection and conversation, that's what they need. If they don't get that at home, they may find somewhere else that I'm getting a little conversation from this guy. I'm getting a little more affection from this guy. I'm getting some admiration from this woman. Yeah? Now, it may end up with sex, but that's not where it starts by any means. That's what Harley says. These needs are so basic, so powerful. And when we end up in that mess, sometimes we say, I don't even know how I got here. It's because we don't understand this stuff. Okay, now, Harley may have the answer. I don't know. You can buy the book, take the class, figure it out. I know it's helped a lot of people. But as a check, and actually as a primary check, not a double check, as a primary check, let's see what God has to say about it. How unique would that be? Well, let's see what God says about a man's needs and a woman's needs. It's considerably shorter. In fact, it's wrapped up in one verse. God's answer is in Ephesians 5.33. He says, The husband must love his wife, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, obviously, each word is a little bigger than just one word. He says, a woman's top need is love. She needs to be loved. She needs to feel loved. A man's top need is respect. He needs to be respected. Now, Harley had it pretty close, didn't he? He had admiration number five for men, and God's got it number one. But he had it on the list anyway. This is what God says. Love and respect. Now, that's in a book by Dr. Egrich, who I mentioned, and I put down there in your footnotes. We've also had classes on that around here, love and respect. Those classes have helped a lot of people. It's helped them understand how you go about making your spouse your number one priority. Now, hadn't been through that class, hadn't read the book, go ahead, read it, see if it helps. It's pretty simple the way God says it. But every time we get to something simple, we say, okay, tell me how to do that. Okay, So men, what is love? Well, the verse says, love your wives. Men, you've got to love your wives, and unconditionally, we understand that. We, understand, we know about unconditional love, don't we? Agape love, Jesus kind of love. We know that. First uh, Peter 3, 7, which was read earlier, talks about how we husbands treat our wives, and it says we love them, we treat them the way they do, because they're women. 
Okay? I, I know a whole lot of this stuff from the song we sang before the sermon to the, to the scripture that we read to a lot of things I've said aren't popular in this world. There's a whole lot of people that would get excited about some of the things we've said and sung today because it's so old-fashioned. Well, God's Word has not gone out of style. It's still right. I know in the last 50 years or so, we've decided as a society that we're going to throw it all out and change it. And that's working real well for us, isn't it? Maybe God knew what he was talking about. So he says, love your wife in 1 Peter 7 because she's a woman. Since she is a woman. You know what that means? That means you've got to figure out what she needs. Men, you've been trying. You've been thinking you're doing the right thing. But you've got to figure it out. You can look at Harley's list. You can look at other books. Uh, she's got to feel loved. Affection, conversation, openness. And men, Martians, they do the opposite. Okay? When a woman tries to tell you that something's bothering her or that something's hurting her or something, you, you decide, number one, you'd say, I'll fix it. So you just tell her the answer. And she doesn't want the answer. On Venus, they don't do that. They sit around and talk about things for a long time. They may not solve the problem, but they talk about it, and they feel a whole lot better. She wants you to listen. That's what she wants. Or you may be afraid, oh, this is going to blow up, so I'm just going to get out of here and be quiet. Okay? That's exactly opposite of what she wants, too. She doesn't want you to go away and be quiet. She wants you to listen to her. Affection, conversation, openness. Read that list a few times, guys. I know we're slow, but read it over and over. That's what 99% of marriage seminars are about. About this, this communication thing and listening to your, your spouse both ways, for that matter. When I do premarital marriage counseling, that's just what I spend over half the time on. It's how to listen to each other. I think that's pretty important. You got, because you've got to figure out what their needs are. If you can't listen to them, you can't do that. Okay, I know men are blamed for a lot of it, and we are, we do need a lot of help, but we're only 50% of the formula. <laughs> God goes on and says, uh, women, uh, tells them what to do. So women, what is respect? Let's talk about that. It says, women, respect your husbands unconditionally. Now, Harley put this down at number five, admiration. God's got it at number one. Respect. You know how to spell it. Aretha taught you. Yeah. Aretha got famous for that, by the way. Here's a good trivia question for you. Aretha got famous for that. And you know the lyrics go, all I want is a little respect when you get home. All I want is a little respect. Yeah. Otis Redding wrote that song for his wife. And the words are different in his. It says, all I want is a little respect when I get home. Okay, Aretha changed it because she's female. But a man wrote it, and God says that's the number one thing men need, is respect. Okay. If I took a poll in here, 
there'd be a whole lot more men that like Rodney Dangerfield than women. Men get it. You know, Rodney, I, I get no respect. That's important to men. Yeah, that's what God says. Some of you are too young to know who Rodney Dangerfield was. That's why we need a younger preacher. Somebody knows a modern day comic. <laughs> Okay, women, and I can't do this in a 30-minute sermon, but let me just throw a few things out there. Uh, women, I told men, you know, you, you don't do the thing Martians usually do. Women, the same thing. When you're disappointed with him, well, you may be tempted to go talk to the girlfriends and sit around the tea room and talk about it or something. When he hears you complaining or criticizing, he hears disrespect. Try the positive side. There may not be much on the list, but try. Tell him some things you respect him for. Okay? Try it. You have to wait a few days till he forgets about this sermon. But in a couple of days, you know, you tell him. Uh, say, you know, I was thinking about you today and some things about you that I respect. And I just want you to know that I respect you. And then say, i got to go check on the laundry. And he'll say, just, whoa, hold it, hold it, hold it. You respect some things about me? He wants the list. He wants to hear. See, he likes that stuff. That's what men want. That's what they need. Okay? So think of a few of them. You know, I respect how you get up, go to work every day. No matter how you feel, no matter what, and how you take care of us. I respect how you provide for us. I respect how you protect us as a family. I respect how you've made plans for insurance and all of those things to protect us. I respect you for that. Men need that, ladies. It's what God says. Now, you can get the book that Egrich wrote for detail or whatever, um, but that's Scripture, Ephesians 5.33. Uh, let me throw one thing in that you got to get. you got to get this part. I think this is really interesting from Egrich's book. I think Egrich's most interesting discussion and what caught me about the book was he talks about the cycle. Those of you that have been through the class know what I'm talking about. He says there's a cycle going to happen, whether it's good or bad. And he talks about the bad cycle as being the crazy cycle. Once you start it, it just goes around and around kind of on its own. Uh, you start the crazy cycle by not loving, not making your wife feel loved, or women not respecting him. Okay? And once that happens, it just feeds each other. And it just gets worse and worse, and it's a crazy cycle. Okay? But if you go the other direction, if you do try some of the things I said, then it feeds on itself and it becomes a good cycle. Okay? It's an energizing cycle. If, men, if you'll show a little love for your wife, if you'll let her know you love her by the things that she needs to, to feel that, conversation, openness, affection, all that, she will show her respect for you, and that'll make you want to show more love for her, and that'll make her want to show more respect for you, and it goes around in a good cycle. You do it the other way, and it gets into a crazy cycle. And some of you know what the crazy cycle is. You know some of the things that will start it, just like that. In two minutes, you can be in full-blown crazy cycle. 
if he brings up the wrong thing or she says something the wrong way, off we go. It's because we're not loving and respecting. So that cycle thing, read his book and you'll understand a lot more about it, but it makes sense to me. Okay, I've given you a number of tips here. If you want to get started on this, if you think maybe this would be a good, good idea, I know what your question is. Who goes first? Yeah. Do I show her love first to get this cycle started, or should she show me respect first? It's hard to get, if you've never done that cycle, it's hard to get started. So you try to decide who goes first. The answer to that is really, really easy. It's simple. The most mature one goes first. Okay? Whichever one of you knows that you're the most mature in the relationship, you just start it. That you men, you just start loving. You go read a couple of books if you want to, learn how, know what to say and how to do it, and do it. Women, same thing. If you're the most mature, you just start it. Uh, somebody's got to start the cycle. So whoever's the most mature, just go right ahead. All right. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, parents. Toby's going to talk about parents. Uh, it's Mother's Day next week, by the way. Men, a little warning there. Mother's Day next week. And we're going to use that day to talk about all parents uh, and see what God's calling for them is. The lesson is yours. Uh, Jesus is the ultimate example of agape love. Uh, That's what we've been talking about. That's what this really all is about. He's making the other one number one and doing what they need and meeting their needs. Jesus knew exactly what we needed. Uh, Jesus knew that we needed to be saved from sin. Uh, He decided he would go first. And he did go first. He went to the cross. He died for you. Uh, He did it to give you everything you need. Everything you need. You needed forgiveness. Uh, You need peace in your life. You need freedom from sin. You need eternal life. He gave you all those things. He died for you. If you're here this morning and need to respond to his invitation to become part of Christ, to put the Lord on in baptism, or if you have some other family needs, let's stand and sing. You come.